0: Now, let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible.
1: In the human experience, when you get to the end of it, it's you and Jesus. That's exactly how the relationship starts it, and the relationship ends it. And it gets muddled and cloudy through religion Dynamics of the human experience, bills that can't be paid, creditors, new bosses, old bosses. You wreck your life like my sister on the streets for five years, drugs and alcohol. But you got to start somewhere. Remember what I told her? Almost three mothers. This mother's day will be three years. I said, the next thing in your life is to go to rehab and finish it. And with that clear mind, the Lord will restore those things to you that you've lost. And he did, and he has, and she's down there at DMV today getting the paperwork to have her driver's license restored after seven years of not driving. That's good. Cause it's all a restoration. Like you, I mean, you come back into society, you you got a job, you show up on time, you get X amount of money, you pay your bills, and you live under your you live within your means. And and she was so good at that before the the pain meds and the drugs and the alcohol is just One's thriving, 401k, all this stuff. But like you, you rebuild your life with the Lord and you go forward. So often God has to take us back to the beginning. But let's just go back to the beginning. You know, communion's like that. Jesus says, Do this in remembrance of me. 12, Twelve times a year on Saturday, once every month, we get a chance to go back to the beginning. Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. Every time we take communion here, individually or in a marriage or in a family, and collectively as a church family or with visiting believers from other churches, Jesus has taken us back to the beginning. He has taken us back to Bethel. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not religion. It's not what you've been doing. A good week, a bad week, a good month, a bad month. Quarterly profits, losses, or anything like that. Conversations you should have walked away from but didn't. Or conversations you did and good for you. It, 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 all that is, you know what? All that's like the back of a baseball card. Statistics don't mean anything. This table says go back to the beginning and it's about me. And he wants us to be reminded on a regular basis to go back to the beginning, to be reminded, do this in remembrance of me. Go back to the beginning. Taking the complex and making it simple. All the noise, simplifying it. You and the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Just go back to the beginning. And it'll still you know, in athletics, we'd say you got to slow the game down. Playoff games, different things like you got to slow it down. The adrenaline. I tell people, you know, when competing at the highest level in surfing, when I'd be in the Pipe Masters, it's like you're about to tee off at Augusta for the Masters. I mean, it is so intense. The adrenaline is so high. Plus, at Masters, you're not twenty foot waves trying to kill you. It's a, it's a par three. Just put it on the green, close to the cup. I'd be in the Channel at Pipeline, like fifteen twenty foot waves. The Adrenaline would be so hot, so fast, so insane. You just have to bring it down, slow it down, just like a starting pitcher in game seven. You got got to slow it down. You got to simplify things. You got to simplify things. And the devil knows if he can make it super loud and all these distractions and all these things that distract us and all this noise that it'll just speed up the game and we're we're just overwhelmed. And the Lord wants us to simplify, keep it simple. One of the beautiful things about being in ministry as a pastor full-time, you do enough weddings and en- enough funerals that it simplifies your life on a regular basis. When parents are grieving over a 7 year old dying and they're banging on the coffin graveside, you don't forget stuff like that. That'll give you perspective on everything. And those of you who have experienced great grief and sorrow, you know it. it's like, you're like, You know, if I live, I live, I die, I die. If we lose it, we lose it. If we keep it, we keep it. If they cause a problem, they cause a problem. What are you gonna do? You gotta simplify it. Either, and I shared even last the other night with a number of relatives and my 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 godmother. Uh, I literally shared like, I'm trusting Jesus to raise me from the grave. So everything I face between now and then, He's got it. We're trusting Jesus to raise us from the grave. I was yet looking at another grave, my mom's grave on Thursday. We're trusting Jesus to raise us from the grave, and we can trust him. And there's a simplification of things when we're trusting in the Lord, and we're like, oh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Wait a second. Go back to Bethel. God loves you, and we love him because he first loved us. Simplify. You go back to Bethel, the place of simple worship. It was so simple that it's a testimony track with Greg glory. It was this, this is what happened, now it's been that. Maybe we need to simplify Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. At some point, I'm sure you will. Then he said, said, go back to Bethel, make the altar, go right back to where it all began. Then he said, put away those things among you. So the putting away is an interesting phrase because in the New Testament, if we talk about the Old Testament being a shadow of things to come, well, in the New Testament, in those epistles, we see this phrase fairly often, put away or put off. Put off this and put on that. And put away lying, deceit, and all these different things. So put away. And a lot of times going forward with the Lord, as much as what we're seeking is what we're releasing. I remember when I was coaching the Chilean team, my good friend Manuel Selman, he was our team captain for Chile. So a great career. Really neat guy. He's a thinker. And he's like so close to being right there. He's top 100 in the world. And just the difference between 100 and Top 10 on the World Surf Tour, it's, it's so minor. They're all so good, like golfers on the PGA. They're, they're all good. They can all shoot a 64 if you follow me. Like, they're all really good. So it's little things. I said, you know, Manuel, I think we need to consider is ask yourself this. What one thing can I do that will increase my value and my ability and my equity by 10%? What one thing can I add? I'm going to do this self-help course or do this or that. But then we need to ask ourselves one other thing, man. Well, what one thing can I remove from my life that will improve my career by 10%? And if you can figure out what to add one thing and what to subtract one thing, if they're both values 10%, you will improve yourself by 20% in your career. And it's true recognizing what doesn't belong, what is a distraction, what needs to be put away. Now, the context here, of course, is gods, false gods and uh, household things. Now, contextually, that presents some problems because, remember, Rachel, who Jacob loved dearly, that's who he worked seven years, and it was as if no time at all to marry her, she stole her dad's household gods, Laban's, unbeknownst to Jacob. And so as they came in the promised land, they bought some stuff in there they shouldn't have been bringing in. And she had those gods. And to what extent those gods affected the home, the marriage, the kids, multiple wives, and all that kind of stuff, we just don't know. Other than the context tells us that they all had stuff that they had to turn in and give up. And again, speaking from a parental standpoint, when you're parents, it's tricky. Because you don't want to have a super harsh legalistic house where there's no joy of the Lord. And God gives us freedom. You, you can't have this controlled environment of an artificial society of perfection in the home because it doesn't work that way. Because then they go to work for the first day at Starbucks and they get shredded and they don't know how to stand it and they want to call mom or daddy to come bail them out because they don't know how to handle that stuff. you gotta you got to give them incremental freedom. But in giving children, as they grow up, incremental freedom, there are there's things you have to decide. You have to decide, we're going to let them spend the night at people's houses at this age and do we trust these people? Because they don't always go the way you think. And just because... You think those people are solid with the Lord? Doesn't mean they are. We learned that lesson. You think this is the standard in our home? Sure, it's the standard in their home. It may not be the standard in their home. When in doubt, hold it out. But still, you know they're going to go to the prom at Edison or Mesa or Calvary Chapel, and just if they make the right decisions, you've taught them to make the right decisions. You've given them incremental freedom. It's, it's just it's got to play out. But sometimes when that happens, there's decisions that are tough ones, and they can be life-changing and far-reaching, like your adult children having idols and false gods in the household, in their tent. It might not be in your tent, but it's in their tent. And he's like, sometimes when you, 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 you go like this with little kids, you're like, okay, you can have a Barbie doll at five or whatever. You're just like, enough is enough, right? Because you know, kids learn right away. Like, you throw a big enough strike, you, it's a war of attrition sometimes with parenting. And you're like, okay. But some things are, you know, are not to be compromised. Just some things are standards that you just don't ever want to capitulate in your home. And certainly, false gods are at the top of the list. And they come in many different forms and different ways. And it's just, it's hard sometimes. It's hard when your smart aleck kids think they know more than you and more than the living God. But you got to remember Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that God's put eternity in our hearts. And there's no one spouting some false worldview or false world religion that doesn't know deep down in their heart that they're fighting against the living God. God has put eternity in our hearts. I don't believe in God. Actually, you do. Because even Voltaire, who fought God at the very end of his last breath of his life, said, The God I've denied and fought my entire life. Now I now must face him. God's put eternity in our hearts. But it's tough when your kids make bad decisions. But you know, things do have a way of playing out. So you just keep praying and you just keep committing them to the Lord. The the jury's still out on everything with your adult kids, by the way, in in most cases, because things work together for good to those who love God. So eventually they just surrender to the Lord and they love God. Then it'll all work together for good. And you'll see God redeem those things. So we don't lose heart, faith, hope, and love. And love never fails. And that's why it's the greatest. So we love. But there comes a point sometimes like Jacob where you're like, you know what? I'm the patriarch of this house. This estate is in my name. And you might be the first trustee. But I'm the patriarch. And this is the standard. So this is the way it's going to be. Bring me the false gods. If you know you're stepping into eternity tomorrow, what would you clean out today? That's really what it brings to an application. When God says, hey, you come back here, you and me one-on-one and bring the family. Well, if you're showing up at Pastor Chuck's house for dinner 10 years ago, or he's going to take a ride in your car, you'd set the radio dials and make sure it's K-Wave and the fish and, you know, Air One or something, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's silly little things that we can use. My kids always make fun of me for 9-11 because when 9-11 happened, I threw everything away that I thought could possibly offend the Lord. They remember the tragedy of it all, but they remember Dad going, like, the Lord's coming. And they, it's, it's such a vivid memory It was like a trial run for stepping into eternity. Sometimes you need to throw stuff away. Less is more. Contextually, we see in it, it's it's idolatry and stuff like that. But sometimes it's a simplification, again, of your life, like removing things that are just too much, that don't bear good fruit. They're distractions. They're frustrating, and they're not the Lord. They're striving, and it's contentious, and it's it's like it causes strain in the marriage. It causes uh, competition for the value of your time every day. It causes a a distinction and a division of affection within your heart. And finally, you just got to say, you know what? I'm, I'm done with it. I'm letting go of this. I just can't. It doesn't necessarily have to be false gods or idols or even sin. When the parable of the sowers was taught by Jesus, he talked about the cares of this life, distracting and choking out the good seed that it never even produces a crop. That's not necessarily sin. It's just distractions from worldly things in the parable of the soils that Jesus taught. Less is more. When LSU won the national championship in football last week, I was quite impressed by how they did it. But one thing that I remembered was their coach, Ed, Ed Orojan, when he was at USC and then they let him go and he went to LSU. He turned LSU around pretty quickly. And I'll never forget an interview I saw with him because at the time I was coaching the Olympic team, so I was very interested in coaching and culture. And I said, Ed, what would you do to turn around LSU football? And he said, I removed 80% of the playbook. Hey, less is more. Quality over quantity. He said I removed 80% of the playbook. It was just too complicated. It was just too much. I simplified the playbook. I took out 80% of this big, thick book that no one could remember those plays, and I kept 20% that was good. Less is more, and we became become more efficient. And then four years later, they're national champions. No one's going to reference that interview years ago, but I remember it. Less is more simplification going back to Bethel as much as anything else is simplification of your life your relationship with the Lord and removing distractions frustrations and things that take away from the overall consecration and commitment of our lives to be serving the Lord as best we can as best we know how with the value of the time that we have today so put away there's things to put away I have to be honest. There's things I think I, every year I'm like, you know what? I need to put this away. I need to let that go. As much as there's things that seek after the Lord for, there are things where God just says, let that go. Just put that away. Change your garment. Purify yourself. It's done. That's done. You're going to step into eternity before you know it. And All these things that we carry that are just distractions, we need to put them away. We need perspective. Bethel gives us perspective. The renewal of the foundation with the Lord. And then the last thing we see here where he says, and I, verse 3, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. The beauty about going back to Bethel, and if if you caught Scott Cunningham's last song, it was like right into this text. Your goodness is running after me. When you go back to Bethel and you're brought back to the basic simplicity of your faith with the Lord and all the complex things are removed and all the distractions are removed, it's you and the Lord and the people you love and the things that matter. And that's all there is to it. And you, you live for the Lord. If, I, if you die, you die for the Lord. It's like Paul said to the Philippians, if I live, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It just becomes so simple when you don't have all the distractions. Life with the Lord is meant to be a basic mathematical equation, pluses and minuses and Multiplication. Because you see all that in the book of Acts. Adding, subtracting, multiplying. But what we so often do is we make it like this chalkboard in a lecture hall of advanced mathematics. It's just it's so complicated that we, we, we just create these Rubik's Cube equations in our mind. Of fear of the unknown. And what if, and, uh, and what about that? And your goodness is running after me. and all my life you've been Faithful. And so really the end result of rebooting and going back to square one is to be reminded what Jacob says here at the altar. He answered me in the day of my distress and God has answered every one of us in the day of our distress. And he's there for every one of us in our day of distress that comes forward in the future. And he's been with me in the way which I have gone. And he has been with us in the way. As much as we know and think he's been with us in the way, how much more has he been with us in the way that we can't even think of and comprehend It's beyond us. And it's to take him all eternity to reveal the glory of his grace to us, as it says in Ephesians. And in understanding his grace, we're going to see how much more he was with us than we even think. For every time we thought God did something special for you, how many times did he do things special for you and I that we are not even aware of? Bethel takes us back to realizing he answered us when we cried out to him and he has been with us in the way because of course Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever now when I go back to Carlsbad and go down to Carlsbad which I frequently do I'm always reflective of God's faithfulness to me as a teenager between turning 12 in Carlsbad and growing up sixth grade through my senior year of high school which I wasn't in school but that age range was all in Carlsbad St. Patrick's Church, the only church I went to, um, continuation high school, dr- dr- at Tamarack Beach, dreaming of being a Pipe Masters champion, thinking of Jerry Lopez, that I could be like Jerry Lopez, and all these things. When I go back to Tamarack about six months ago, it was actually Father's Day uh, that week, I picked up my dad at the assisted living home in, there in Carl- La Costa, and we, we, we drove back to our house in Carlsbad, Westwood Drive. Just look at the house. You know, it looks a little different, of course. We sold the house in 79, so it's been a long time since we lived there. But it's that timeline. Well, when I went back to Cape Hatter's a couple years ago, went back to Virginia, I went by our old house in 09, where the girls were, where Hannah was three and Leah was one. It all, the house had been painted looked totally different. You're like, you ever do this, you know what I'm talking about, where you go back you're like, wow, it looks so small, right? Isn't that what they always say? Everything looks smaller when you go back. It's like, it looks so small, but it looks like time just stood still. They just painted the house and and it, it all looks so different. It, it all looks different. And you go back and you think about, God, you met us here. Man, the first two years of Virginia were so hard. I had rashes from the stress I was under. I'm like, Lord, you saw us through that. And then this week, going back to Cleveland, I've not been back to Cleveland since Leah was one and a half. We went there in 92. Is was the last time I was in Cleveland. On Thursday, I was at the house that I basically grew up in as a younger child that I remember most, my grandmother's house, my mom's mom and dad, Coventry Road. And you know, I thought it would be smaller. It still looked big. That, you know, I was talking with my blind cousins and I'd play hide and seek and put things in front of them like some demented person would do. We were laughing about that this, 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 this week, actually. Yeah, you, you know, like my mom said, you're 10 times worse than the other kid that anyone ever had. Uh, that's why we didn't give you to the nuns. We couldn't put you in Catholic school because the nuns would have killed you, and I couldn't do it to them. And she, it sounds like a joke, but it's true. She literally said that and affirmed it this last year of her life. Like, no way, no way. You, just, you don't do that to nuns. You don't send Joe Brand to the nuns. But that house, I remember a lot about that house. It's a, My brother and I are looking at the house, and I'm like, I, I remember watching – Star Trek with Captain Kirk in this house, and you know, my cousin kurt saying, What's going on? What's going on? My blind cousin, and he was like, What's the monster look like? And then I got I'd shake him, I got Joe, and he'd start chasing me around and stuff. It's all there, you know, it's in the database, it's in the memory base. But here's something interesting. Uh Katie, who's uh, a cousin, her mom's my godmother. I said, yeah, I want to go back to the Coventry house, and uh, I know that St. Anne's is right next to it, because I remember walking to church with, with the family on, on Sundays. She goes, I don't, I think it's farther than that, like, I, I think, because these are different suburbs, Shaker Heights, Cleveland Heights, she goes, I think, I don't, I don't remember St. Anne's being that close to your mom's house. I'm like, oh, no, it's, it's right there. We got to Coventry Road, there it is, and there's St. Anne's right across the street. It's all there. And when I was looking at St. Anne's, and my brother was there, of course, too, and I'm Barbie wouldn't remember that because that's before her time because she's six years younger than me. But I was like, I so remember coming to this church and believing in God. And I also remember coming to this church and fearing God. I had the fear of God. But I remember coming to that church and believing in God. And going home and having like afternoon food and because they would always go have a big meal across the street with all the relatives coming over. And like that's going back to Bethel. And then going to the grave to, to put my mom in the ground that morning where her grandmother's buried, where her brother and sister are buried, both who died before they are 30. And there's Aunt Donnie, who that was her husband who was put in the grave when he was 27. They were married two years. And I thought, there's no Jeremy Camp movie for that. That's just her story and God knows it. And she's in her 80s and her second husband's been great and they've been married 55 years or whatever. But when I pulled up at the cemetery, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is where Donnie buried her husband. My mom's brother is buried here. And she's coming from Columbus to go back to the same spot to bury her sister, who she referred to as sister, my mom, where she buried her husband decades ago. You talk about going back to Bethel? That's going back to Bethel. And then Katie, my blind cousin, that's where her mom is buried. And she's right back there at the same grave marker decades later where she was a kid, a blind kid, where her mom was buried. That's going back to Bethel. And for me, placing my mom in the ground, that's going back to Bethel. What do we believe? Who are we? What's God doing? And what are we receiving and learning and growing from that? Going back to Bethel is the Lord taking us back to the most basic spot where we're reminded of his faithfulness to us, that his goodness is running after us. Before we ever called him, he formed us in the womb and knew us, and he had a plan for us before the dawn of creation. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And he has predestined us and, according to his foreknowledge and called us to be saved through grace. And to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. To be fruitful to the purposes of our life in our timeline. And other generations have come before us. And other generations will probably come after us if the Lord tarries. They certainly will. And God is faithful in every generation. And it was just so simple to, to see all that in my own life on Thursday. This is where it began. He took me all the way back to the very beginning of Bethel. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, in Shaker Heights. As was my brother and sister by the same doctor in the same Catholic hospital. I mean, you talk about going back to Bethel? You talk about the text they have? This is our text tonight. He just put me on a plane to Cleveland with my mom's remains to put her in the ground at Bethel. Bethel. And I'm telling you, I come back from Bethel in my own life, and I'll tell you, and you already know this, but I affirm it tonight as clearly and as definitively as I can. God is faithful. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And he's got the plan, and he's got our back, and we can trust him in every experience. And we don't ever want to be shifted and moved from the relationship to religion. When we sense it come back to relationship, When it's complicated, simplify it because there's an end of all men. And yet again, I've been reminded of it this week. Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Keep Bethel at the forefront of your heart even when you're far from it geographically.